0: Well, I hope everybody had a great Independence Day, and uh, I trust that everyone is ready to uh, to jump into God's Word with us this morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have today to gather together to study your Word. And God, I thank you so much that we live in a country where we get to do this freely, where we get to do this each and every week without the fear of persecution. And uh, God, no matter what takes place in our country, um, God, we just want to um, proclaim today, right now, that we will continue to be faithful to your word, and we will continue to do what your word calls us to do. And uh, so, Father, as we uh, jump into your word this morning, uh, God, we pray that this will be a time that challenges us, the time that convicts us, and a time that allows us to become more and more like Christ. And uh, so be honored in our time today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, it is great to be back with you guys again. I know uh, I had an opportunity uh, to, to be with you guys a few weeks ago. My name is Reed, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. I um, had the privilege preach preaching a few weeks ago when Scott was out of town, and uh, he asked me to preach again today, uh, which I guess means that it was sufficient enough then since I've been asked again And uh, today I had the opportunity of preaching with him in the crowd. So this usually uh, is not the case. Usually he's out of town uh, when I preach, whether he's gone on a family vacation or taking care of something uh, for the church. So it's definitely an honor to have him and his family in the crowd with us today. Uh, As he just explained, uh, him and Marcy just got back from a a cruise to celebrate their 19th wedding anniversary. So I hope you guys are well rested. hope you all had a good time. And uh, we trust that you are ready to continue leading our church and being all well rested. Um, Scott has a very important responsibility to protect this stage. Um, everything that takes place on this stage has to be consistent with God's word and it has to continue to proclaim the gospel. So to be asked to preach uh, is a huge honor. I'll go ahead and tell you that I appreciate the trust that he has in me to be able to do this today. And uh, so with that being said, uh, let's jump to it. we got a lot of scripture to look at this morning. And I'm excited to, to jump up here and share God's word with you today. Uh, last week when Scott announced that I would be preaching, he let you guys know that I would be uh, preaching from uh, Exodus 23. And we'd be talking about uh, why you should not bathe a goat or boil a goat in his, in his mother's milk. Not bathe a goat, boil a goat in his mother's milk. <laughs> Uh, that is not going to be our passage this morning, so for those of you who came uh, ready to hear that, I know that Brian uh, came ready to hear that. He already told me today how disappointed he was. Um, the good news is that that's what Pastor Larry's going to be doing for his small group this fall, so if you're, if you're ready to hear 13 long weeks as to why you should not boil a goat in its mother's milk, uh, let me encourage you to sign up for that. Um, I'm totally kidding. That's not what he's doing his small group on. As we begin our time this morning, I do want to start with a question. I want to go ahead and just kind of ask uh, just something really simple that I think many of us take for granted all the time. And I think that this might lay the groundwork for where we're going this morning. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had trouble seeing? And I know that uh, some of you are like, what in the world? Let Let me give you a couple of examples to try to help you understand what I'm talking about. Have any of you in here ever taken a trip to Disney World? Anybody in here gotten in a, gotten in a car, hopped on a plane, went down to Orlando? Okay, most of the people in the room have been to Disney World. Has anyone ever a ridden Space Mountain? Has anyone ever been on that one? Fantastic roller coaster, right? And what's unique about this roller coaster is that it's completely in the dark. You don't know where the next turn is. You don't know where the next drop is. Most people are afraid to put their hands up. It's just an awesome roller coaster. It's completely dark. It's just one of those things that if you're a roller coaster enthusiast, like this is on your list of roller coasters to ride. It's awesome. It's one of those rides that everybody just loves. And the main reason is because it's like no other. It's just it's, it's so unique because it's in the dark. It's an awesome roller coaster. Maybe you have tried to walk through your house late at night. Has anyone ever been laying in bed late at night, having trouble sleeping, and you think, man, I'm just going to get up, walk on over to the kitchen, get something to drink, and uh, you realize how dark your house is. Now, I don't know about you, but in our house, that has become increasingly difficult to do. Uh, With three little kids, uh, you really never know what you're going to step on. Uh, in your house, uh, it might be the Legos. In our house, it's the dinosaurs. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, we have a stegosaurus that will bring you to your knees. And uh, I can promise you that this thing has no mercy. You better have a medical kit close by. Uh, it, is, it is for real. It is, it is, I'm not even kidding. It's not one of those soft ones. It's got the hard back and all that, and it's got me before. Now, when I walk through the house, I pull out my iPhone, and I turn on the flashlight, and I make sure that I'm navigating with that to make sure that I have a safe pathway Uh, To the kitchen. So I think we all have have been there before. Let me give you another one. Have you ever, as a child, maybe played hide and seek with your friends? I think everybody in this room has probably played that game. It's a great game. Uh, Obviously, you can play this game when the lights are on, um, but it's way more fun to play this game when the lights are off. And why is that? Because darkness creates places to hide. And we could do an entire sermon series on that if we wanted to, uh, but the truth is darkness creates places to hide, and this is one of those games where it's just awesome when the lights are off because you literally cannot see. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, have you ever been it in that game? Have you ever tried to find your friends, and you maybe walk into a, a dark room in the church or a dark room in your, in your house, and you realize, wow, I cannot see the hand in front of my face. like It's that dark. And I think even though we love that game, one of the things that we're also grateful for is that after the game is over, we can walk over and flip on a light switch, and we can see again. So my point is, I think that we all know what it's like to have trouble seeing. Maybe some of you in here actually just have bad eyes. I don't know. I know that I come from a whole family with bad eyes. Everybody has to wear contacts or glasses to see. Uh, But what if there was no light at the end of the tunnel in Space Mountain? What if when the ride was over, it was still dark? What if you did not have an iPhone or a droid or a flashlight to turn on to kind of safely navigate through your home at 2 o'clock in the morning when you'd like something to drink from the kitchen? What if after that game of hide-and-seek, there was no light switch to flip on so that you could see again, what if you had to live in a constant state of blindness? And in our passage today, that's exactly what we're going to read about. In John chapter 9, we're going to read about a time that Jesus came across a man who was born blind. And I think that in our passage this morning, we're going to be challenged with God's word, and I think that we're going to see the truth of the gospel. So let me encourage you to join me uh, this morning in John chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, so uh, if you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to set your translation to the NIV so that our versions match. And if you don't have a Bible with you at all today, then feel free to use the Pew Bible uh, that's in front of you. We should be starting on page 758. So I'm going to go ahead and read our text for us. This is going to be uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. All right. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see." All right, so that's our passage this morning. I want us to jump back up to the beginning to verse one, and I want us to kind of uh, systematically kind of break this thing down so that we can kind of figure out exactly what's going on in this passage. And really, as we begin, we see that we're actually going to have to jump into John chapter eight to see what's taking place, because this passage begins with, as he went along. So where did he come from? As he went along, from where? Well, let me give you just a little bit of the context of what's taking place so that you can kind of understand where we're picking up in the story. In John chapter eight, uh, Jesus is on the scene and He's debating with Pharisees and the Jews, and he's trying to tell them who he is. He's trying to explain to them that he is the Son of God, and he's come to save people from their sins. However, a lot of the people just don't believe him. Uh, it's very similar to kind of like what we experience in our culture today. Over and over again, they continue to try to discredit his message, and at one point, check this out, at one point, they even ask if he's demon-possessed. So they even ask the Son of God, are you demon-possessed? Like, that's absolutely crazy. But Jesus corrects them, and he continues to try to help them understand who he is. But eventually, the the Jews and the Pharisees just continue to get more and more frustrated with him to the point where now everything that he's saying is just beginning to offend them. By the end of John chapter 8, they they become angry at what he's saying, and so they decide to actually pick stones up, and they want to kill him. And uh, so Jesus is able to slip away, and then we get to John chapter 9, where it begins with, as he went along. So when it says, as he went along, as he went along from that as he kind of left that situation where the Jews and the Pharisees were angry with him for trying to uh, explain who he is, as he went along from that, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And by the way, just if we can kind of time out for one second, this is normal for Jesus. This is a very common thing for Jesus, uh, for him to see people who are normally ignored uh, by our society. And man, if we can just kind of rejoice with that for a moment. Uh, God sees people that society tends to ignore. There, here is a blind man who's been blind from birth. He's had to beg for every single thing that he has. And scripture says that Jesus saw him. So as we kind of begin our time this morning, uh, just if you can just if you get nothing else from this message, let that encourage you. Let that encourage you that when you feel down, when you feel like that nobody sees you, nobody cares about you, nobody wants you, nobody likes you, that you're insignificant, just remember that Jesus sees you. And I think that that should encourage you. All right, jump back to uh, verse 2. The disciples are with him, with him and they ask this question. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Now, at this point, the disciples are asking this question not necessarily because they care about this guy. Like, they don't know this guy. They just stumbled across him when Jesus did. This is not like they have some personal connection with this blind man. This question is not being asked out of compassion, it's asked more so out of theological curiosity. They're basically wanting to know uh, an important life question, like the answer to one of these life riddles. And listen, guys, we do the same thing. Let's don't act like we're any better than the disciples, okay? We, we ask the exact same kind of questions, not because we care about the people that are necessarily involved in whatever situation we're asking about, but just because we too have questions and we would like to know the answers. Uh, for example, one of the ways that you might hear it today is why do bad things happen to good people, right? Everybody heard that one? Show of hands, right? Like everybody's heard that one. Why do bad things happen to good people? Isn't this basically what the disciples are asking right now? Why is this man blind? What caused him to deserve this? That's basically what they're asking. Why did something bad like blindness happen to this guy? Why do bad things like blindness happen to good people like this man? They're, They're basically asking... The same question. And I was recently talking with some of our students about this. We have a couple of students who were trying to uh, share their faith with one of their friends at school, which, by the way, that should encourage you guys. We have students who uh, care enough about their faith to talk about it with their friends, so let that be an encouragement to you. Uh, A few of our students were trying to share their faith with one of their friends at school, and their friend actually gave this question or asked this question as an obstacle to trusting in Christ. They were like, basically, until you can answer this question for me, I'm not really interested in faith in Christ. Until you can answer, why do bad things happen to good people, I'm not interested. And in case you're wondering, by the way, it's just it's a bad question. The question, why do bad things happen to good people? We're actually asking it the reverse way. We're not asking it the right way. The real question should be, why do good things happen to bad people? We see in Scripture, in Romans 3, uh, verse 10, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Bad things don't happen to good people because according to scripture, there aren't any good people. The real question is why do good things happen to bad people? So in 2015, guys, we do the same thing. We ask the exact same questions. Again, not because we really care necessarily about the people that are involved in that situation, but because we want to know one of the answers to life's big questions. So back to the disciples, I'll go ahead and tell you that this question that they ask makes some serious assumptions about God. Basically, by asking this, the disciples are saying that God gives people physical disabilities as kind of a direct punishment for specific sin. In the mind of the disciples, what they're saying is that if you steal something, like you might lose your hand or maybe your child would be born without a hand. Or maybe if you tell a lie, maybe your kid would have some sort of trouble with their mouth or maybe some sort of speech problem. Or maybe in this case, this guy's parents might have looked at something inappropriate And so therefore, in the mind of disciples, he's now blind. And so they're assuming that there is this direct correlation between physical disabilities and specific sin. And look at how Jesus responds to this. Look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, we obviously know that these people are not without sin. We know from Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that these people are without sin. What Jesus is saying is there's not a specific sin that caused this man to be blind. There's not some sin formula out there that if you commit this sin, therefore your child will be born blind. That's not the case. Now, we want to go ahead and affirm, though, that Scripture does make it very clear that sin is the problem with this world like we see that in genesis chapter 3 with the fall of mankind we see that when god hands out the curses we see it again in romans chapter 5 when he talks about original sin and the the effects of that we see that sin does cause problems and sin is the reason for all pain all suffering and all death but what jesus is saying here is that there's not a specific sin that has caused this There's not something in particular that his parents did. It's rather just sin in general has caused this. But this is not where uh, verse 3 ends. Let's keep reading. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. All right, now what I want to do. I know how easy it is in a sermon uh, to kind of go in cruise control and now you're not really paying attention anymore. And I know it's real easy to kind of get in the zone. And so let me kind of bring you back for a second because what Jesus just said right here is huge and I don't want you to miss it. I want to read verse 3 again because I want to make sure everybody's tracking with me because we're about to build off of this. So pay attention to how Jesus responds right here in this moment. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but listen to this. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. All right, this is a serious response from Jesus. Like this is big time. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a couple of minutes to kind of break this down. We cannot skip past Jesus' response right here. Um, I know that this is not normal for, for preachers to do this in a sermon. I know it's not proper uh, preaching etiquette, but I want to go ahead and give you your first two points uh, for, your, uh, for your sermon. So in your handout, you've got a simple outline for today's message. I'm going to go ahead and give you point number one and point number two at the exact same time because these are both tied directly to what Jesus just said. So here's your first point and your second point. Number one, God is sovereign over our life circumstances and God will receive glory through our life circumstances. God is sovereign over our life circumstances and God will receive glory through our life circumstances. All right, listen here. It is by God's divine will That this man was born blind. This was not an accident. God was completely sovereign over this. God had say-so in this. God was in control of this. God could have allowed him to be born with sight and chose not to. This was intentional. As Bible-believing Christians, we have to affirm God's sovereignty. We have to affirm that God is in control of all things at all times, even the things that are hard for us to understand. God is sovereign over the good things, and God is sovereign over the bad things. Now, this does not mean that God is evil. This does not mean that somehow he is responsible for sin. All it means is that he has power over evil. That's what that means. I think that many times people have this misunderstanding that somehow God and Satan are these equal powers and they're just duking it out in the spiritual realm and that we're just hoping that one day good will prevail. And that's not the case. If this is your understanding of God and Satan, then it's wrong. Let me try to help you understand. God is supreme. And there is no match for him. And he is in complete control of all things at all times. And he has complete control even over Satan and the evil that he brings into this world. And if you don't believe me, you can go home today and read the story of Job in the Old Testament. In the first chapter, you'll see that it was God who initiated the challenge with Satan to mess with Job. It was God who said... Have you considered my servant Job? Satan Satan didn't ask for that. God said, Have you considered my servant Job? And it was God who gave Satan permission to destroy Job's way of life, to take his family, and to inflict tremendous pain on his body. So all of that to say, we have to affirm God's sovereignty at all times over all things. If Guys, if we can't affirm that, then how can we have any confidence that in the end, God wins? When we are reading God's word and we get to Revelation, and we're reading these pages in the end about how God defeats Satan and defeats evil, how can we have any confidence that in the end, God wins if he's not sovereign? Like the only reason why we read that with hope and why we read that with confidence is because we trust that God is completely in control and has the power to make sure that what we're reading is going to happen. When we read Revelation, we read that and we, we rejoice. We celebrate because we know, hey, God's going to win in the end. And we know that because he's sovereign. And by the way, just so you guys know, when it comes to God's sovereignty, it's either 100% or 0%. Like, there is no in-between. It's kind of like, have you ever met a a woman who's, like, sort of pregnant? Like, no, it doesn't work like that. You're either 100% pregnant or you're not pregnant at all. Like, you're never going to just meet somebody who's, yeah, I'm sort of pregnant. No, like, they're either pregnant or they're not. Same thing with God's sovereignty. He's either 100% sovereign or he's 0% sovereign. So back to our text. Why did God make this man blind from birth? according to verse 3, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God made this man blind from birth so that he could receive glory in this very moment. Now listen, we don't know how old this man is. Uh, The scripture does not actually give us his age, but here's what we do know. We do know that he's an adult. We're going to see that in a minute as we continue reading our passage. We're going to see that he's old enough to answer for himself because he's going to be brought before some authorities and he's going to be asked some questions. We're going to see that in a second, but we don't know his exact age. Here's what we do know. We do know that for this man's entire life, he has lived without the ability to see so that in this one moment, the works of God could be displayed in him. So that in this one moment, the glory of God could be revealed through him. So that in this one moment, the gospel would be on full display for everyone around to see through his life circumstances. And I think as we continue with the story, we're going to see this with our own eyes. So check this out. Let's, let's keep going. Verses 4 through 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this, at this point, Jesus is saying here that he's going to continue doing his earthly ministry. But night is coming, which is a reference to him uh, basically saying, look, I know my time on earth is coming to a close. I know night is coming. Uh, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken before the authorities. My earthly ministry is going to come to a close. But while it's still daylight, while I'm still in this world, I am the light of the world. That's what he's saying right here. And look at what he says in verse 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And notice here that he uses the word we. And I think that's important. He's including the disciples in this process. He's telling them, hey, you're part of this. You're part of this process. I'm doing this work and you're going to help me do it. And so even though Jesus was not referring to us in 2015 in America with this particular statement, obviously he's talking to the disciples right here. Let's just go ahead and affirm something really quick. Christians are not supposed to sit on the sidelines. Like we're supposed to get in the game. We have a, we have a job. We have a role to play. We have a responsibility to be a part of God's story. We don't just get to sit back and watch from a distance. We don't get to just be pew sitters. Like We have a responsibility to be a part of what's going on. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We have work to do, and you're going to help me do it. Let's keep reading, verses 6 through 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. All right, several things here. Let's just let's just go ahead and kind of get this out of the way for a second. I'm kind of a germaphobe. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Uh, anybody who's ever spent any significant amount of time around me will know that this is true. I don't really care for your germs. Uh, Larry tried to... Uh, he licked a spoon one time in the office after he stirred his coffee and he wanted me to use it. Not a chance. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm going to tell you, like when I read this passage and I see that Jesus spit on the ground and then rubbed it on the man's eyes, like that's gross. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Okay, Jesus Christ here. Okay, he, he's, he's God, right? The God of the universe who spoke existence into being, okay? Like with his words brought, brought creation into existence decides to use spit right here to heal this man's blindness. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I think that's nasty, okay? But here's what we see, okay? Here's what we see. This was intentional. This was intentional. Scholars believe that Jesus did this on purpose to remind people in the crowd of the creation story, okay? From the dust of the ground, God formed Adam. And so what does Jesus do right here? Takes dust from the ground, mixes it with his spit, forms a mud and puts it on the man's eyes and so that everyone in the crowd right there is seeing another tie-in with the gospel. They're seeing, whoa, do you see what Jesus just did there? That ties back to the creation story and this man knows right now that he is standing before the creator of the world. Very cool. All right, look at the details we have here. Notice in this passage, Jesus does tell him what to do. He tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam but notice here he never tells him why. He never tells him what the outcome will be. He never says, hey, go ahead and wash that mud off your eyes, and here's what's going to happen. He never says that. He just says, go to this pool and wash your eyes. That's all he tells him. All this man knows, all this blind man knows, is that a guy named Jesus, who he just met, by the way, he doesn't even know who he is. He just knows that a rabbi has walked by and has told him to do something, and all he heard him say was that the works of God... Are about to be displayed in him. So by faith, he goes to this pool and washes his eyes. In this particular pool, it's not like it's like five feet away from him. It's not like he's just going to hop up, stumble over for a couple of feet, and splash some water in his eyes. Like. This this pool is on the south side of Jerusalem. So even for someone with sight, this would have been a long journey. With someone who cannot see, this is going to be this is gonna this is gonna take some time. Like somebody's gonna probably have to help him get there so that he doesn't stumble or fall or lose his way. Like this is going to be a significant journey for this blind man. He could have just sat down and been like, "Man, I'm not going all the way over there. You're crazy. That's a long walk. That's on the south side of town. I'm not doing it." But we see in scripture that by faith he makes this journey. And why this particular pool? As you see in your text, this particular pool of Siloam means ascent. And what Jesus is saying right here by telling him to go to that pool is, Hey, God has sent me here to come and to remove the sins of the world, to heal the sick, and to open the eyes of the blind. Let's keep reading, verses 7 through 11. All right, so the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Your third point. God will advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through our life circumstances. God will advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through our life circumstances. When he is being questioned about what happened to his eyes, look at his response, look at verse 10. How then were your eyes open? they asked? And he replied, the man they call Jesus. Church, shouldn't that be our response as well? Like when we experience healing in our life, whether it's the healing from the sickness of sin or the maybe even physical sickness, shouldn't that be the same response that we have? When we experience the transforming power of the gospel, shouldn't we too respond with the man they call Jesus? How did you overcome that addiction to alcohol or internet pornography? The man they call Jesus. How did your marriage get restored. Weren't you guys like on the edge of divorce? Like what happened? The man they call Jesus. When the world happened to you, like you used to be a jerk and now you love people. Like what happened to you? The man they call Jesus. And so people begin to hear this story and they don't even know what to do. Scripture says that even his close friends and neighbors don't even know if it's him or not. Like they're not even sure if it's the same guy. And as a result of this man's testimony, the gospel went forward. But not without a cost. Not without a cost. What I want to do, I want to read the rest of this story for you so that you can see what happens. I'm not going to break down every single verse like we've done so far. But I do want you to kind of see what happens because I want you to see that this man's faithfulness did come with a price. But I think that what we're going to see at the end of reading this is that the price that he paid was worth it because of what he got in the end. So let's pick up in verse 12, and I'm going to read most of the rest of uh, chapter 9, and uh, the, we're going we're to wrap it up after that. Verse 12. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. "'Give glory to God by telling the truth,' they said. "'We know this man is a sinner,' he replied. "'Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. "'One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see.' "'Then they asked him, "'What did he do to you? "'How did he open your eyes?' "'And he answered, "'I've told you already "'and you did not listen. "'Why do you want to hear it again? "'Do you want to become his disciples too?' "'Then they hurled insults at him and said, "'You are this fellow's disciple. "'We are the disciples of Moses.' We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Now, do you remember how the disciples asked the question, who sinned, this man or his his parents? That's the same mentality right there. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus answered, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. As a result of this man's life circumstances, the gospel went forward and people heard about Jesus. But again, it didn't come without a cost. Look at what happened. The religious leaders threw him out of the synagogue. His parents... His friends, they're like afraid to even be associated with him now. They're fearful that the same thing's going to happen to them too. That's why his parents said, go ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. But notice what happens. Jesus went and found him. And made sure that he wasn't just cured of his physical blindness. But that he was also cured of his spiritual blindness. Jesus went to the man and explained who he was. And scripture says that the man believed And worshipped him. That is a cool story. So we begin to wrap up our time together. I want to ask you just a a few questions. Um, In light of our passage today. um, If you're a believer. I, I want to ask you just to consider a few things. Number 1, do you recognize that God is completely sovereign over every detail in your life? All of your life circumstances whether it's good or bad. Like do you do you recognize that God is completely sovereign over everything in your life? Number 2, do you want your life circumstances to be used for the glory of God? And I'll just go ahead and tell you, God is going to receive glory through your life whether you want him to or not. Here's, here's, uh, here's something you need to know. Um, God is not playing a part in your story. You're playing a part in his story. All right? That's just, we need to go ahead and kind of go ahead and explain that really quick. I think a lot of people think that the world revolves around them. Newsflash, this is about God, and we get to play a part in his story. And here's what we know, Okay? God can be glorified through our obedience like we see through people like Abraham and Moses. Or God can be glorified through our disobedience like we see with people like Pharaoh and people like Judas. Either way, God will be glorified through your life circumstances. My encouragement to you is that you pray that God will be glorified through your obedience. And number three, will you help advance the gospel through your life circumstances? As we just saw, when this man was asked about his healing, what did he do? He pointed to Christ. He said, the man they call Jesus. question for you is, will you do the same thing? Will you, too, point people to Christ? I love this story because of how clear the gospel is. I'm sure some of you who have been kind of tracking with me the whole time have have seen it even starting all the way back to uh, the first verse of this. Um, Here's what we see. We see that a man was born blind, and now he can see. And here's what we know to be true, right? We were all born blind, spiritually blind. If you're in this room right now and you're not a believer, Scripture explains that you are spiritually blind. But today... Your eyes can be opened to see the truth of who Jesus Christ is and to see what He accomplished on the cross on your behalf so that your sins could be forgiven. Scripture explains that each one of us is a sinner and is in need of a Savior and that only faith in Christ can save. Listen to what Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you're an unbeliever in this room today, my encouragement to you today is to put your faith in Christ and to be saved from your sins. May your eyes be open today to see the truth of God's word. And may you, like this man that we just read about, may you too say, I once was blind, but now I see.